lifetime, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Good morning and welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos and I'm going to be your host for today and tomorrow. And I hope you had a fantastic weekend and that you sanctified the day yesterday, going to Mass, uh, spending time with your family, uh, doing things uh, that would sanctify your state in life. And um, got a really awesome show today. I got a a few surprises here for you, but uh, first I want to say... From Joe, Adrian, and I, and the Guadalupe Radio Network, uh, we are really, truly um, thankful for all of you calling in your pledges last week during our fall share You know, this radio apostolate is funded by your hard work and contributions for the good of souls. And uh, a lot of you called in. I just want to say thank you so much for doing that. Uh, This week, however, we're back to our regularly scheduled programs, so don't adjust your radio. And uh, as I mentioned today, we have a pretty jam-packed show. We've got the, uh, the full two hours here. Uh, we're going to have the saint and the gospel of the day, uh, breaking news and stories coming up shortly. And at 15 past the hour, we're going to have a discussion of whether artificial intelligence can produce art. That's going to be a, a fascinating uh, read here. I have an article here from, uh, from Crisis Magazine. So that's going to be part of our What's Concerning Us segment at 15 past the hour. And at 35 past the hour, we're going to have Joe Poyman, who will be on to discuss some practical apologia tips. I know all, all of us have been there before, uh, where, you know, a pro-choicer will come in and try and stump us on some sort of little nuanced detail here. But he's going to come in and have uh, some practical apologia tips to counteract the propaganda and myths that are being spread by so-called pro-choicers. For example, that pregnant women, and I'm talking about women, not birthing persons who seek abortions, are going to be persecuted as criminals, as well as the classic mental gymnastics, and we've heard this one before, right, on whether the treatment of an ectopic pregnancy is actually an abortion. So Joe Poyman is going to join us uh, uh, shortly at uh, 635 there. Now, to talk about this, we have the whys. The shrewd, the impeccable, the defender of life from West Virginia, Brent Haynes, who was voluntold to come in to help us while Joe's out candyneering. Good morning. Yeah, I started to look over my shoulder there at the beginning <laughs> of that introduction. Good morning. Good morning. How was your weekend, Brent? Well, it, you know, it was good, but aren't the weekends always too short? Yeah. Isn't there a song about that? You would know. know better than I. Maybe. <laughs> and uh, back to our, as as I said, back to our normal uh, our normal show. We have Adrian on the ones and twos. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. Can you explain to me what the ones and twos are? The ones and twos. Okay, so it used to be. I was told this. I've never seen this personally, but uh, there were one turntable and then two turntables, and I guess the DJ would put on the the music on each turntable. I don't know. I don't know how it worked, but (laughs) (laughs) I had a turntable at one point because that's what the hipsters did back in 2010, but uh, not anymore. Yeah. Uh, So Well, praise be to God. I had a great weekend. It was a very uh, fruitful weekend. Went out to Katy, uh, Katy, Texas, because... They were having a uh, this this so-called church, the the quote unquote disciples of Christ, uh, are having a drag queen 
bingo night Yikes. for all ages. Sounds horrible. And so we went out to uh, pray outside their, their church, outside their so-called church, and uh, our separated brethren, as some might say. But yeah, so we were out there praying yesterday after mass, and then it was. But it was good. I'm glad we had a big crowd, which was very encouraging. Prayed nice. the rosary, prayed the litany of the of the holy face, so it was good. Ah, oh, that's awesome. I love the litany of holy face. Very good, very good. So, uh, well, kick up your feet and get comfortable. Let's jump right into our show today by praying for your needs and for the conversion of sinners, as well as for Joe and his son's safe return. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. And now, here's your breaking news for today. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today is Monday, September 19th, and here are your headlines this morning. Breitbart reports Martha's Vineyard residents begged for mass immigration until migrant flights arrived, and they said they have to move. The island, home to the nation's wealthiest and most well-connected, declared a humanitarian crisis, and Governor Charlie Baker swiftly deported the new arrivals sent over from Florida to a military base on Cape Cod. The islanders, who uh, were outspoken proponents for immigration, let's just say, said Martha's Vineyard's business owners needed more foreign workers to fill summer jobs that were left open and unfilled in 2018. Rather than give illegal aliens jobs, some officials said the island could not house the new arrivals and did not have the infrastructure. A Breitbart News analysis, though, shows that Martha's Vineyard could house up to 6 million border crossers and illegal aliens. And the Epic Times reports FBI makes 6,000 arrests and seizes arms, firearms in summer-long operation. FBI agents arrested about 6,000 alleged violent criminals across the United States over the past four months and have seized more than 2,700 firearms and large quantities of fentanyl, the Bureau announced. Those operations were carried out in California, Texas, Hawaii, Illinois, New Mexico, Washington, Pennsylvania, and Puerto Rico. The average murder rate across the United States hit 6.9 murders per 100,000 people in 2021, or the highest figure that it's been in more than 20 years. Drug overdose deaths at the same time have spiked to more than 107,000 nationwide in 2021, setting an all-time record according to federal data. Ground News reports Suez Canal Authority to raise transit fees by 15% in 2023. Egypt says it will increase transit fees for vessels including oil-laden tankers. The Suez Canal Authority said in a statement on Saturday that it will add a 15% tariff to the tankers carrying oil and petroleum products. About 10% of global trade flows through the Suez Canal, which is a major source of foreign currency to Egypt. Ground News also reports suits to save Confederate icons dropped in South Carolina. The American Heritage Association helped fund one of those lawsuits. It had been filed by descendants of John C. Calhoun, a former congressman. The association also filed a lawsuit opposing the removal of a Robert E. Lee Memorial Highway marker. The city made a deal with the South Carolina State Museum to take the statue of Calhoun. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is Blessed John of Messias. He was born March 2nd, 1585 at Ribera del Fresno in Spain. 
And when he was very small, he was left as an orphan. He was adopted by a kindly uncle who set him about herding his sheep. The little boy was naturally pious and passed his spare time in saying the rosary. Our Lady and the Christ Child appeared to him several times, and he was often visited by his patron, St. John the Evangelist, who once showed him a vision of heaven, telling him, This is my country. In 1619, he embarked for the Indies, where many Spaniards were going, either to convert the natives or to seek a fortune. After a long and hazardous journey, he arrived in Lima. In 1622, he received the habits of a lay Dominican brother there. On the night of his profession, devils appeared to tempt and reproach him. He was attacked bodily, and although he was calling on Jesus, Mary, and Joseph for help, the demons continued what was to become 12 years of torture by actually throwing him from one cloister to another. John was appointed assistant to the porter and lived in the gatehouse. There the poor came for food and the rich for advice. He became adept at begging for the poor and always managed to find enough for the more than 200 people who came daily for help. He had little use for the wealthy and curious and would sometimes baffle them by simply disappearing while they were looking at him. Rays of light streamed from the blessed's face as he taught the catechism to the poor or prayed by himself in the gatehouse. He said an amazing number of rosaries and made no less than 20 daily visits to the blessed sacrament. He said to have liberated more than a million souls in purgatory, many of whom came back while he was at prayer to thank him for his help. One day, a certain ship captain came to the gatehouse and asked to look around. John took him by the arm and led him directly to the crucifix, warning him to look well on it and think of his sins. Terrified, the captain fell to his knees, confessing that he was an apostate religious. Thirty years away from the sacraments, and he begged for a priest. On another occasion, the brothers were building a flight of steps, and having measured a beam wrong, they were annoyed because it did not fit. John took the beam in his hands and stretched it to fit their needs. These and many other miracles led people to venerate him as a saint during his lifetime. His recreation was to talk of things of God and the other holy lay brother, Martin de Porres. At the time of his death, Our Lady, St. Dominic, and his patron, St. John, and many other saints came to accompany him to heaven. They were seen by some of the brothers. He died September 16, 1645 in Lima, Peru of natural causes and was canonized in 1837 by Pope Gregory XVI. Blessed John of Messias, pray for us. Man, I hate it when I measure twice, cut once, and it still doesn't fit. That's an incredible story. Thank you for that, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Jesus said to the crowd, No one who lights a lamp conceals it with a vessel, or sets it under a bed. Rather, he places it on a lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not become visible, and nothing secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. To anyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he seems to have will be taken away. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Hadock says, Our Lord calls himself the lighted candle placed in the middle of the world. Christ was by nature God and by dispensation man and thus not unlike a torch placed in the middle of a house. Does our Lord seated in the soul of man illumine all around him? But by the candlestick is understood the church, which he illumines by the refulgent rays of his divine word. Thus, according to St. Maximus, you are the light of the world, says the Lord in another gospel passage, but you are merely the candlestick which reflects the sublime light of our Lord. You should take care to remember this in your daily duties, diligently, as the first reading of the Mass says, to remember that as a candle your entire life is to be consumed to bring about the Lord to all around you, at your work, with your family, to your wife, to your children. Take care to guard that your light, which our blessed Lord gives us to be the face of Christ, uh, take care that to guard that light is what I'm trying to say, which our blessed Lord has given us so that we can be the face of Christ to our neighbors. By these expressions, Jesus induces his audience to be very diligent and quite alive in the momentous affair of salvation, affirming them that they are placed in the public view of the whole world, according to St. Chrysostom. Continuing, here he exhorts the audience to attend what he was about to deliver and to apply themselves with all their attention to the divine word, for he was, for, for who has a desire of hearing the, world, the word? shall also receive the grace and power of understanding it. But the man who has no desire of hearing it, though from his learning he might expect to understand it, shall not understand it because he does not willingly attend to the divine admonitions. Hence it is said, Whosoever hath to him also shall be given. Thus, venerable Bede, remember, you are the light of the world. Remember that every single day and every single thing that you do, however menial it is, remember that you are the light of the world and that you are the face of Christ, the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ. To all of those people around you, do every duty with excellence and remember that everybody is probably going to experience Christ through you. How many people, how many atheists there are in the world that have not experienced Christ, but they will through you. Well, that's going to do the uh, gospel and the scene of the day. After this short break, we're going to have a discussion on can artificial intelligence produce art? Is it really producing art? Is this really uh, something worth uh, considering to be art? Uh, stay tuned. told that so long as sexual activity is performed between consenting adults, there's nothing morally wrong with what's done. Is this a reasonable way of morally evaluating sexual behavior? I don't think so, and here's why. First, such reasoning justifies disturbing acts like that of Ormin Mivis, who butchered and ate a willing victim that responded to an advertisement placed on the internet. I don't think we want to say consensual cannibalism is okay. Second, the assertion arbitrarily picks consent as the only aspect of nature's design for sex as having any moral significance. If we must reverence nature's design for consensual sex, then why is it okay to not reverence nature's design for procreation? If it's okay to reject one, well then it's okay to reject the other. So rather than reverencing consensual sex, this argument undermines it. 
I'm Carlo Brusord with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Men, it's time. Participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th, 11.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. in Boston. There is a man connected to every abortion. Men are a big part of the problem, and it's time for all men to take responsibility and be a big part of the solution. All men of goodwill are invited to participate in the march, and everyone else is needed to show up for the rally beginning at 2 p.m. outside of the State House. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and spread the word. Glory to God. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Rudy Carlos here, filling in for Joe McLean. Please keep him in your prayers as well as his sons. They're uh, canyoneering today in the Grand Canyon. And it uh, sounds like a really good time. I haven't been to the Grand Canyon in two years. Oh, it was incredible. One of the greatest things you can ever witness with your eyes. It's just the glory of God is there. It's just so magnificent. Uh, but anyway, do keep them in your prayers. And um, this segment is, as Joe calls it, the What's Concerning Us segment. And we discuss things that uh, are concerning us and that may concern you as well. And today I have an article here from Crisis Magazine. The headline is, Can Artificial Intelligence Produce Art? It's written by Christopher J. Carter over at Crisis Magazine, if you want to look at it. And the story goes... The long and merciless advance of the machine has at times expanded the arts in odd ways. The Art Deco style of the earlier 20th century is a prime example of industry-shaping style, as the energy of industrial power began finding itself reflected in an art form fielding bold lines, strong figures, and precise geometric forms, all reminiscent of factories, steel, and material progress. As the world changed through advances in manufacturing and electronics, the arts attempted to incorporate these changes and left us with some stunningly beautiful works from buildings such as the Empire State Building in 1931 and the Texanic Texas Centennial Exposition Complex of 1936 to the subtle sensationalism of paintings by Baroness Tamara de Lampica. Even devotional ends enjoyed a new look with such framed works as Christ the Redeemer of 1931 and the Madonna della Strada Chapel in 1938, pointing man's mind not merely forward, but up. Continuing, he says, But today, industry, or man's place in that industry, is dropping faster than the HMS hood. Recently, new developments in computer programs, commonly called artificial intelligence, have upset the arts. These programs allow people to give both visual and written input that in turn generates pictures. Uh, so just to give you an example, you can go on to uh, some, there's there's a lot of them out there. I don't have one off the top of my, my mind, but you can go to these websites uh, that actually feed the artificial intelligence, whatever you type into it. So there's going to be a little text prompt, and you could type in, for example, some of them are more advanced than others, by the way. But you could type in, for example, uh, a poodle with a skirt riding a surfboard. And the artificial intelligence will come up with, uh, with a picture based off of your description. Continuing, he says, the quality of the pictures is generally high and would take hours or days to deliver through traditional means. This writer knows that such works are beyond his present ability, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. And it would, here, he not assured in other ways, be disheartening 
to know that computers can discharge an image in under a second that would take a man not only hours of effort for years of skill to attain. I think that's that's the key moment here in this article, I think. He's talking about the convenience, the speed in which these artificial intelligence uh, sees uh, create an image in, in comparison to an actual traditional painter, for example. Continuing, he says, One may say that this is like the advent of Art Deco and that the computer-generated art is but one more arrow in the quiver of the craft. Uh, in other words, it would be as if uh, putting a different paintbrush in your in your tool toolkit or a, a different palette, for example. He says, however, there are fundamental differences between Art Deco art and AI outputs that preclude viewing these new developments as just another step in the journey of art. While influenced by and at times using the tools created by the industry, Art Deco remained a man-made vision of the world as it was then. Artistic styles are, after all, merely reflections of culture and mind. Ohio, for example, could not now commission or create the Cleveland Guardians of Traffic, which is, uh, I think it's a bridge, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that has uh, some Art Deco-styled uh, guardians on each side. As the city of 1932 is not the city of 2022, as much as we would like. In that way, art becomes one of the most important insights into history, and it allows us to see in some mystic ways into the worldviews of people of the past. And here I want to pause, and I just remember, Adrian, uh, something that I overheard. I, I can't remember what we were talking about, but you were discussing the, the age of Mary, the triumph of Mary. And you, you brought up the example, which I thought was hilarious, the example of, well, what do highways look like under the age of Mary? You know, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they look like now. Yeah, it's interesting. We think about um, these horrific art pieces in the society, or even just like the buildings, the these ugly, brutalist architecture, these apartment complexes that just look like they're out of a factory. And (laughs) and you think about, okay, what would these things look like during the reign of Mary? Because during the reign of Mary, we're going to bring back Christian civilization, and our mindset will be geared towards the good, the true, and the beautiful. And so that's going to be reflected in everything we do. So we look at the roads during the Roman Empire, and they built them beautifully. You look at the Roman aqueducts. They're still around. And they're, they're still around. They're, they last thousands of years, and they're beautiful still. Whereas we build our highways and we build them to be functional, which, I mean, that's debatable whether they're actually functional sometimes. <laughs> 45 being shut down on my way to work this morning. But the, but we would have to engrave in it some beauty. So maybe they would have like on the sides of it, these designs of, of the holy images of the life of Christ mosaics. as you're driving by mosaics. Uh, statues on on them on the highways these kind of things that we uh, we don't think about right now it's the part of the human creativity of it and i don't think it's interesting because i saw those ai artwork as well and a lot of it is very impressive and but at the same time it's it's there's something that's lacking in it and yeah. i guess that what's lacking in it is the soul mm. like it's not there's no spirit that's put into it but at the same time, if you put that picture up to someone and say, "Can you? Is this done by a human or done by a computer?" It's scary because you can't really tell. That's true, Brian. What do you think about uh, artificial intelligence making art? Do you do you think it's art, or do you think it's just kind of like a a, a pale comparison? Well, you know, it's, uh, 
discouraging, isn't it, to think that computers intrude more and more on what we used to think of as entirely uh, human creative activity. And the more we see these kinds of things, the more we see that science fiction is becoming science fact. Hmm. Um, I've been reading about this myself and looked at some of the photos, you know, digitally, of course, on the computer or, or a, you know, phone or iPad or something. So it's all those, those are all digital representations. But uh, you generally you can't tell most of the time whether it's just an expert photographer or uh, a computer generated image. Uh, the one thing that occurs to me as I look at the icons, for example, that we have here in the studio is uh, at least we haven't reached the point where computer intelligence can produce oil paintings. Mm. You know, so maybe maybe yeah. we'll still maybe we'll still be able to go to museums and great and, uh, <laughs> and uh, appreciate the works of the great masters. You mean uh, the great master robots? <laughs> but that that's what I'm, that's what, <laughs> what I'm afraid we're headed toward. But at least for now, at least we can go to the museums and appreciate the works of the great masters. It blurs the line, right? Like, who is the artist here? Is it the artificial intelligence or is it the person who created the AI? Like, that's a question for me. Like, yeah. if it ever got to the point where it was in a, a museum. Would it actually be the person typing in the prompt? Well, a one of these uh, <laughs> a, one of one of these digitally created images actually did win a big photograph competition. Really? Recently. Yeah, oh, I remember man. seeing that. Yes, I would be created upset. quite a a lot of uh, human photographers were upset. Were upset. <laughs> yeah, he submitted it. I remember now. The story was uh, some guy he he digitally created it, created it, and then he submitted it without telling anybody that it was generated by AI. And after he won, then he revealed to everyone and goes, see, AI is art. Y'all all just submitted it. That is art. And he uh, and everyone was upset. And now they're discussing, like, what do we do about this? And they don't know. See, to go back to your point, Adrian, without it having a soul, like, for example, the reason why it would be so upsetting for a, a photographer to to understand that this is actually AI that created a photograph is because as a photographer, you know, like, I have to wake up real early. I have to get up super early to catch the light. There's a lot of variables at play that are outside of my control, whether the clouds are going to be out, whether there's going to be some god rays coming through the clouds, whether it's going to rain, whether the birds are even going to show up. You know, all kinds of different things have to come into play, and there's a sacrifice. You know, I have to wake up early. I have to drive over there. I have to uh, plan my my day accordingly so that I can I can maximize all of these different variables. But with art in... Artificial intelligence, it's just you type in a prompt and it feels cheap. And I, I think about the machine. I think the machine tends to cheapen artwork. And you see what happened when mass production became a thing and it took over the garment industry, for example. I ran into uh, an artist the other day, uh, not actually physically, but I, I ran into something that uh, this artist put out in a video saying that she was really inspired to become a, a, a fashion garment producer. Um, and she she was uh, taking some really classic courses about uh, how to make proper garments, you know, like good fitting suits, good fitting clothing and that sort of thing. And uh, it disappointed her when she went home and looked and analyzed all of her so-called expensive clothing and realized that it was just mass produced garbage. And I think about the, the garment industry. I think about industrial revolution. Um, and I, I also think about... Um, the the opposite of that, which is there's this really great documentary. If you type it in on YouTube, you can type in hands uh, and then Irish linen weavers. And you can see what it took in the past 
for you to create even just a simple piece of linen. And today, it's just so it's just so art and and anything produced, anything that we wear, anything that uh, used to mean something is just mass produced. It's cheap. It's lost its soul. It's soulless. And I, I think that as we fight to bring back traditional cultural ideas, we also have to bring back the trades. We have to bring back artwork. We have to uh, bring back those trades which are dying. For example, bookbinding. You know, now everything is digital, so we don't consider the beauty of having a book on your shelf. So we have to bring back those those lost trades because they required something. They required the expertise of a person. They they required a, a lot of sacrifice. I'm thinking also of upholstery. You know, growing up in upholstery shops uh, with with my dad. You know, I got to see what, what it took to, to reupholster antiques. I mean, actually, blood, sweat, and tears. So um, I think we have to bring back those, those traits, and we have to uh, really rethink about, um, about this, this new stuff that's coming out. We can't let it just co-opt the, the language, for example, calling this art. I would say this is more of like um, something... I wouldn't call it art. What would I call it? I, I would call it. It's uh, interesting though, because the one thing that I was thinking about while you were saying that is the idea of homemade has changed significantly. Yeah. So you say something's homemade. It's like, well, I bought the flour from the store. I bought the sugar from the store. I bought the chocolate from the store, and I just mixed it together. It's interesting. Homemade doesn't mean homemade anymore. That's true. That is so true. Well, uh, we're going to continue discussing this probably in the after show. But if you want to read the article, it's over at Crisis Magazine. And the uh, headline is, Can Artificial Intelligence Produce Art? And right after this break, we're going to have uh, Dr. Joe Poyman from the Texas Alliance for Life. Don't go away. Stay tuned. This is Dale Alquist so, with a Chesterton uh, Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, the Catholic view of marriage may be an ideal, but it cannot be a reality? Well, G.K. Chesterton says, It is an ideal in a diseased society. It is a reality in a healthy society. For where it is real, it makes society healthy. We know we cannot make a perfectly healthy society because while we believe in marriage and the church, we also believe in something called the fall of man, which also has an effect on society. But the point is that we believe not just in an ideal, but in something practical. Practical in the sense that we want to make something. We want to create Christian families as opposed to those who are always ready to destroy the family, who give up on the ideal and give in to whatever is easiest at the moment. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Hi, this is Pam Stenzel. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 11.30 a.m. for the march, and then everyone else show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the Statehouse, where I'll be speaking about the need to value and protect every pre-born baby from fertilization. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and spread the word. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now more headlines. Catholic News Agency reports Catholic Church burned and priests and religious sister kidnapped in war-torn Cameroon. 
Gunmen set a Catholic church on fire and kidnapped five priests, one religious sister and two lay people in western Cameroon, where a civil war has been raging since 2017. In their statement, the bishops said that the Catholic Church has increasingly been targeted by attackers. They say, quote, a wave of persecutions against the hierarchy of the church is now the new struggle, the new game of the struggle, rather. All kinds of threat messages are sent out against missionaries who have surrendered their lives for work for the people. Read the bishop's statement, which uh, noted that Presbyterian and Baptist churches have also been targeted. About two-thirds of Cameroonians practice Christianity, while 25 to 30 percent are Muslims. So please pray for that uh, intention there. Please pray for their, uh, their safety. The Jerusalem Post reports Israeli archaeologists discover once-in-a-lifetime find of ancient pottery under a beach. A team of Israeli archaeologists felt like they had entered the set of an Indiana Jones film, or perhaps DreamWorks' Prince of Egypt, after discovering a burial cave from the time of Pharaoh Ramses II. The, uh, it's thought to be the pharaoh from the book of Exodus, containing dozens of intact objects. The cave was uncovered in the Palmakim, Palmakim, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Palmakim National Park, near one of Israel's most popular beaches. The cave was found by chance when a tractor hit a rock and revealed the cave's opening. Inside was a square room filled with ancient pottery and uh, vessels thought to be of, uh, of a burial quality for, uh, for a burial offering. And The Hill reports, Hurricane Fiona rips through powerless Puerto Rico. Hurricane Fiona struck Puerto Rico's southwest coast on Sunday as it unleashed landslides, knocked the power grid out, and ripped up asphalt from roads and flung the pieces around. Forecasters said the storm could cause massive flooding and threaten to dump historic levels of rain with up to 25 inches possible in isolated areas. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Dr. Joe Poyman on to talk about abortion. Uh, we're going to talk about abortion advocacy and what we hear in the news and uh, talk about the laws. It might be strange to have a lawyer uh, bringing on a non-lawyer to talk about this, but uh, <laughs> Joe Poyman is uh, actually a rocket scientist. He gave up his career in the NASA complex to go become a uh, full-time pro-life advocate in Austin, Texas. Good Pretty morning, good. Dr. Poyman. Good morning, gentlemen. And, you know, full disclosure, if I uh, accidentally lapse and call Dr. Poyman Joe, I have been working with him for more than 20 years in Austin. <laughs> uh, That's not, true. That's true, Brent. And, and you made a great, great impact here in Texas. Well, you're too kind. But I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Poyman, I'm looking at a national public radio uh website article from an article that they broadcast just on July 3rd and says losing a pregnancy could land you in jail in post-row America and from all I can tell watching the regular media uh, women who get pregnant and go get an abortion are going to end up behind bars for the rest of their life not to mention that uh, women's lives are at risk because they're going to die from their inability to get an abortion yeah I, I, I wouldn't uh, count on that coming true at all. In fact, it's not coming true, and it has never been true. Yeah, so there uh, we do have that decision that the Supreme Court handed down on June 24th, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which completely overturned the terrible Roe v. Wade precedent. Okay, so let's let's look at um, some of the horror stories that have been predicted when that came down, and one of them is that women are going to be arrested for having a miscarriage because that would the evidence they were, they were actually having an abortion and they would be guilty for 
participating in abortion. The problem with that fairy tale are several. Number one, uh, we haven't had any women who have been prosecuted for abortion under any of these laws that have gone into effect since that time. Texas and 13 other, or 12 or 13 other states that have uh, contingency laws, laws that are triggered by the Supreme Court's decision. Texas is one of those. Um, Louisiana, Arkansas, and a number of others. They are, um, the women not, in those states now, abortion is not permitted. Unborn babies are completely protected from abortion beginning at conception. And we have no reports of any woman being prosecuted for abortion, which the laws, all of those laws ex- explicitly exclude a woman from any prosecution for being involved in abortion, even if she is the woman on whom the abortion is performed, or even if she participates in some kind of self-abortion procedure, she cannot be prosecuted under those laws. And I know that very well because here in Texas, and of course, as I said, there are some 13 states and more states are being passing laws to do this, Idaho being another one. They are, uh, those laws, like in Texas, specifically have an exclusion, so a woman can't be uh, prosecuted. You know, uh, then the question is, is there going to be some kind of overzealous prosecutor who's going to do that and say, okay, there's evidence of something? It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened, and it's been, what, three months since the Supreme Court did the right thing and overturned Roe versus Wade, but haven't seen that. So I, I don't think that's happened. It hadn't happened in the past, which I'd, I'd like to talk about if you've got a chance, and um, I, it's not going to happen going forward. Well, that point bears repeating that uh, despite what we hear in the popular media, many of these laws, um, I don't know if all of them do, many of these laws that outlaw abortion explicitly exclude uh, the pregnant woman as even a potential defendant. Uh, Another point is, you know, this idea that women are going to die because they can't get an abortion when uh, medical care really calls for it um, has always been false. Um, you know, abortion, you know, abortion uh, when it is truly necessary to save the life of a mother um, and it, it is simply if it's medically necessary, that's always going to be constitutional. And any law that tries to limit that is going to be unconstitutional. There's not going to be um, any law that says, well, you have to let the mother risk dying in order to save the child. That's not the law. Um, and yet you know, we we see the uh, not just the uh, commentaries out there, not just the op eds. But actual news organizations like National Public Radio putting out uh, articles and broadcasts such as losing a pregnancy could land you in jail in post-Roe America. And, of course, ultimately, uh, this goes back to the predisposition of the media to show one particular viewpoint, and they seem to become increasingly detached from the facts. Yeah, that's so true. Well, first of all, let's look at what happened before before Roe versus Wade, um, you know, blocked Texas pro-life law, a law that had been on the books since 1854. So we had from 1854 to 1973 in Texas, one state, um, had were women prosecuted for uh, abortion, a woman on whom abortion was, was performed. Our attorney, our special counsel, a gentleman from who's in Chicago, Paul Linton is his name, former general counsel of American United for Life, did a lot of research on this and found that, and he's not the only one, but they have all found that 
in not in Texas has had a woman ever been prosecuted for participating in abortion from 1854, the first time the law was passed, to 1973. And the same is true of all other states. No woman had ever been prosecuted for abortion. Um, no one had been convicted. There were one or two, I mean, an amazingly small number where prosecution was started and then it was dropped or, you know, it, no one was ever prosecuted or convicted, I should say. And that is an amazing, amazing fact considering all the hype about this. So then let's look at 1973 to uh, this year, 2022. And uh, we had um, some stories out there. There's a, some law professors who published an article a few years ago claiming there are all kinds of cases of women who were prosecuted and so forth. Paul Linton looked at every one of those cases and found that there were, uh, let's see, about eight cases over a period of, um, uh, let's see, about 16 years um, it would ended up being about one case every four years where a woman was prosecuted for something like homicide or, or uh, uh, homicide of the unborn child because most states, after Roe versus Wade, do criminalize taking the life of the unborn child in the course of violent crime like assault or murder of the mother, and can, can the mother be charged with causing the death of the unborn child? You know, in Texas, we have explicit exclusion. We have the, the unborn child is recognized as a as a person in the womb for purposes of homicide and assault, the same as a newborn child cradled in the mother's arms. But the woman cannot be prosecuted, even if she causes the death of the child herself. Um, that's the case in all these other states. So there were a few, a uh, handful of cases but very, very few, and, and these law professors were way overhyping this. And now, as we said, post-Dobbs from June 20, 24th to now, we're just not hearing about these cases. So, yes, a lot of crying wolf, a lot of hyping to try and discredit the pro-life gains, discredit the Supreme Court. But we scratch a little the surface, and you don't have to scratch very far. And you see, it's a lot of hype and not a whole lot of substance. All right, Joe, well, we're going to get ready to take a break, but... Before we do, I'll point out that before all this hysteria started, as recently as 2015, the Guttmacher Institute, Planned Parenthood's so-called research arm, itself said that women are not commonly charged in the United States for the crime of uh, self-inducing an abortion. So before the hysteria started, they were at least being a little more reasonable with the facts. But now, after Dobbs, it seems like all reason has uh, left the room. We'll be right back. This is Father Stephen Imbarato. Join us in Boston for the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th. Men, we will gather outside the Planned Parenthood to begin the march, and then we're going to meet everyone else for a 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about constitutional personhood for the pre-born and where we need to go from here. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Again, details, mensmarch.com. Join us and spread the word. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 A.D., 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed at a church down the street. All right, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Dr. Joe Poyman. Uh, before the break, I was pointing out that before the recent uh, post-Dobbs hysteria, even Planned Parenthood's uh, research institute, Guttmacher, said that women were not commonly charged for the crime of self-inducing an abortion. Um, so how have you uh, dealt with this or confronted this in your work since the decision came down? That is a great question. Of course, Dobbs is the decision back in June in which the Supreme Court completely reversed, overturned the terrible Roe v. Wade precedent and allowed states to pass protective laws like Texas, uh, Arkansas, or, uh, you know, numbers, Ohio, we hope will do very soon and so forth. Um, that's the decision that we're referring to, Dobbs. So um, in that time, we were trying to get ready for media response. And uh, my and my communications team and I, we were pretty ready with talking points. And I will say we were a little surprised that there would be so much misinformation in some, not all, but some of the media accounts claiming that women are going to be prosecuted. No, they're not. Because they're explicit exclusion from women being prosecuted in the Texas law. Well, women are going to be um not able to get uh, treatment for ectopic pregnancy. No, the Texas law, and this is the case throughout the country, Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, makes this very clear in some of their publications. It's um, that state-by-state uh, -state survey. All the states that have these laws exclude treatment for miscarriage. So so those can go continue to go on. And that's a case where if left untreated, that child will certainly die, even uh, and the woman life is in danger also so they um that that is that treatment is, is clearly permissible under all the state's pro-life laws um how about treatment for miscarriage well miscarriage is when the ch child dies before born and um when that happens there's there's not a, an abortion even to talk about because the child has perished the child has died so uh yes that's clearly permissible what if the child is in the process of dying or there's some some grave concern that this that the pregnancy is going to cause severe risk to the mother's very life or um, loss of major bodily function well there's an exclusion in all the laws that i have seen that allow an abortion to go on in those cases 
when the life of the mother is in danger or there's a severe risk of loss of major bodily function. Um, these are very rare. These are very rare cases, but but the the things are in there now. Uh, what might happen? Well, let's suppose there's a uh, the a woman is in the second trimester. The um, the uh, water breaks. Okay, that means the amniotic, amniotic fluid leaves. Um, in almost all these cases, the child's going to die because the child has to have amniotic fluid to. Uh, learn how to breathe and exercise that. So the child's going to die. The, if the woman doesn't have, if we don't do something, she, there's going to, she's going to get an infection, which could lead to a mass infection in her entire body, putting her life at risk. Typically, what a pro-life doctor would do is to induce labor. The intent is not to take the life of the child. That child is not being dismembered or uh, any action to deliberately take the life of the child. But the child is too young to live, has not reached the age of viability. So typically, the doctor induces pregnancy. I'm sorry, induces labor. The baby is born, will die soon afterwards. But the intent was not to take the life of the child. The intent is to save the mother's life which will happen, she can, will be consoled to some extent. I mean, this is the loss of the baby, but at least she will have a baby that she, ha she hasn't taken responsibility for the death of that baby. And uh, they can uh, grieve the loss of that child and, um, you know, have a, have a funeral if wanted to, and if they wish, and a burial. But the point is that is the moral way to handle this type of circumstance. Uh, the woman is not, her life can be protected, you know, in, in classic ethics, this is called the principle of double effects. The the action is taken, the, the intent is to save the life of the mother. The indirect and unintended result is the, the loss of the child. But this is this is classic, classic principle of double effects. So the law that all the states around the country that have been passed that protect unborn babies from abortion have this type of exception. So I, you know, it's, it's uh, frustrating to me to hear some cases where women who have miscarriage or the, the baby is in the process of dying can't get treatment. Um, that's frustrating to me because there are some doctors out there that claim they don't want to get prosecuted under the new pro-life laws in Texas or other states, but they're just abandoning their patients and they have to, they, they need to take responsibility for their patients and do what's right. And um, I, it's just hard to imagine that in Texas or any other state, that doctor is going to be prosecuted for for anything. I mean, right. that's not uh, the, the, the law. The language is so clear in these laws, and in fact, it's the very language that was upheld back in 1992. Some of your savvy listeners are going to remember Planned Parenthood v. Casey. The Supreme Court upheld that exception that I described as constitutional. Well, so, the uh, you know I don't think there's a really issue here, but it's just being hyped, as, as you say, Brent. Well, what you mentioned a moment ago about intent, that's always the critical issue in any criminal prosecution is whether or not the defendant had the requisite intent. If the doctor's intent was to save the life of the mother, then there's not going to be a criminal prosecution. That's true. And, you know, I'm wondering, Dr. Poyman, Rudy Carlos here, uh, I'm just questioning whether, you know, the midterms have anything to do with the reason why they're co-opting this sort of language, right? I mean, they're saying... Well, if it's an ectopic pregnancy, it's automatically an abortion, or they're they're equivocating these two things. Do you think that 
you know, the Democrats are coming into the midterms really with nothing, and they're trying to make something out of nothing in this in this case. Oh, could we? <laughs> that's that's a great point. Is it possible that this is being politicized for political reasons, and these these uh, patients who are suffering these terrible losses are being exploited? by one party or certain elected officials and the media to try to hurt pro-life uh, uh, Republicans or just pro-life uh, candidates. Uh, yes, I think that's really possible, and I think it's it's despicable, but this kind of thing goes on. And uh, I'm really glad you're bringing up this topic. It's, a, you know, for a lot of people who have suffered miscarriage, it's not pleasant to think about. I mean, you lost that baby. And in some cases, the woman was contemplating possibly losing her own life. This is really, this is life and death stuff. This is really tough. But we have got to educate the public about what's really going on. These pro-life laws that have passed, those so-called trigger laws that were triggered, go into effect when, when Roe was overturned, are fantastic laws. They're great laws, and they are protecting babies' lives. And as I said, here in Texas, which I know so well where I reside, and I'm in the state's capital, Austin, We've had had our law in effect, now um, our pre-roll laws and now our Human Life Protection Act, as it's called, the trigger law, been in effect for now three some three months. We have not heard of a single case of a woman being prosecuted. Uh, this is not this is not going to happen. It, it's not intended to happen by the lawmakers and the governor. It's not going to happen. If it is, it's some rogue district attorney who um, you know is going to get the there's ways to correct that uh, so the um, I, I just think this is um, they're trying to make something out of nothing they're trying to make hay and you know frankly you see this kind of thing when one party or the other doesn't have enough uh, real issues to talk about so they try and manufacture this issue and exploit these um, these tragedies these uh, in, in the way it, it's reprehensible it's a shame but we've got the best Anecdote for it is shining light on it, as you as you're doing, gentlemen. Well, th- that's an excellent point. You know, a lot of pro-lifers might have uh, originally thought after the Dobbs decision came down that we have won the battle, and in fact, what has happened is the battle, in line with the exact ruling of the court, is it moved from the national level and the focus in Washington D.C. on this and the Supreme Court, especially, to each of the 50 state capitals and to our local uh, communities, and so now, in many ways, the job of the pro-lifer. Uh, has become a little more complex. Uh, pro-life advocates need to be better informed now. You know, they need to understand so that when they're faced with just factually incorrect, really non-fact-based arguments, when they're faced with hysteria and irrational arguments, they need to be able to calmly point out the facts, point out what the law is, point out that, uh, you know, it's not true that a woman uh, whose life is genuinely in danger uh, can't get an abortion. Two uh, political activists who were campaigning um, knocked on my door, two women, a few weeks ago. And one of them ended up telling me she was a 60-year-old woman. And she told me that she didn't feel safe now after the Dobbs decision. They knocked on your door? They were campaigning. Wow. And they wanted, and to their credit, they wanted to engage me in a real conversation. We talked for about 20 minutes. But in the course of that conversation, you know, as a 60-year-old woman, she says she doesn't feel safe after Dobbs. So part of the response here is just an irrational, just hysterical emotional response because the idea of abortion um, has just become so ingrained through the public relations efforts uh, 
I mean, let's face it, you know, Planned Parenthood is good at that. You know, they've gotten in the schools. They've infected the curriculum in our schools. They have infected the medical field. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of thinking is out there. And the job of pro-lifers, uh, and not just professionals like Joe Poyman, but of all the pro-lifers who are out there, uh, who might uh, encounter somebody outside an abortion facility, who might engage in a, co- a topic of conversation with somebody uh without any notice at all, just that it could happen anywhere. Uh, it really helps if you can just know the basic facts. Uh, it's the, the, pro-life, the pro-life issue hasn't gone away. It's just become more challenging. Brent, uh, let me put in a uh, clarify for Brent, uh, for, for, uh, for your listening audience. Brent, we've known each other and, and, and come down and you've, you've come down and testified in the Texas Capitol a number of times over, over 20 year period. And I can vouch and say that there's nothing in Brent's uh, demeanor or appearance that would give a 60 year old woman any cause to be afraid. None whatsoever. So it must have been something to rest. <laughs> <laughs> what about the baby? Did the baby feel unsafe? Yeah, that, that's really the, that's really the ultimate comeback, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, that are, <laughs> you know. Um, but for, but for people who want to engage in a try to my idea in talking with people in those situations is try to plant a seed, try to ask a question, often in the form of a question, try to make a point, but often just ask a question uh, that might just stick in their mind. Try to say something that might just sit there in the back of their mind that they just might not admit immediately but that eventually, if they reflect on it, will bring them around. Uh, Joe, uh, we've only got 30 seconds. Any last words for our audience? Thanks for having me on here. And, and if anybody's wished to get some of this information on our website here in Texas, TexasAllianceForLife.org, but consult your local pro-life organization in each of your states. I'm sure they've got a similar message. We've got to kind of combat this nonsense with the truth. Dr. Poyman, we appreciate you being on. Thank you for your work, and we hope we'll be talking to you again in the future. Thanks again. Thanks, gentlemen. Hi, this is Sister Dee Byrne. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men, gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 11.30 a.m. for the march. Everyone else, show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about the urgent need to be actively pro-life and pro-eternal life. For more information, go to themensmarch.com and please spread the word. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. And thirdly, the rosary dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Then, on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. 
Hi, this is Carrie Beatley. Come participate in the next National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood on Saturday, October 15th in Boston. Men, gather outside of the Planned Parenthood on Commonwealth at 1130 for the march. And everyone else, show up at the 2 p.m. rally outside of the State House, where I'll be speaking about how America's abortion king pushed the lie of abortion on the American people. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash. Hey, I'm Hallie from St. Edward Youth Group, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston. Part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Glory to God. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. I'm Rudy Carlos. I'm hosting today. I'm filling in for Joe McLean, who is out canyoneering the Grand Canyon. Now, uh, if you know Joe, you've heard him talk about uh, doing all kinds of different things like skydiving, shark diving, swimming with sharks. I don't know. What do you do with sharks? You just swim with them, right? Um... I think it'd be more exciting if you put Chum in the water and then jumped in without a cage. Uh, what else does he talk about? He talks about uh, scaling, getting a motorcycle, uh, getting a motorcycle, uh, scaling buildings, you know, without any parachute cord or anything like that. But uh, anyway, he decided against all of our wishes, by the way, to go to the Grand Canyon, and he said that he had a, a dream of being like Evil Knievel. And he is convinced that he can jump across on a motorcycle the Grand Canyon. So that's what he's doing. Hopefully he makes it back on Wednesday. I, I hope he does. Uh, I think he would need a rocket-powered motorcycle to be able to do that, to be honest. What do you think, Brent? I think you look awfully comfortable in Joe's chair. It's, a, it's not a comfortable chair, i got to tell you. It's a very weird chair. There's, like, spikes on the back just to remind you of penance, you know, and... Uh, the seat is made out of, uh, what do they make? What, what's the, what's the penance cord? It's like a, it's like, it's a hair shirt type material. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable. I, I don't know if, uh, yeah, know you if look it at. appears the other way, but mm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm following, I'm following, but I'm not buying. Mm. I'm following, but I'm not buying. It's only the finest that, uh, Office Depot has to offer. It's true. <laughs> the uh, I think I think most of the furniture in the studio was uh, purchased from. It was what's the name of that place that it's like sells surplus stuff over supply or rent something like that. Room. Not rent a room. It was. It's uh, joining us is also Tito Edwards. He's with us Tito on Edwards. the on uh, joining us uh, by Zoom. But Overstock, there we Overstock. go. Overstock, Overstock, the website. We got a lot of our stuff from Overstock. But we did actually get a lot of uh, of the equipment from um, a old a we had there was like some like a liquidation uh, place yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so like they, there was a office that was shutting down so we got a lot of those in there so. well that was a really cool interview Brent thanks for setting that up with Joe Poyman uh, with the Texas Alliance for Life uh, I understand you guys are, are good friends well we met in two thousand one when I was testifying in Austin at the Texas Le- wow. Texas State Legislature um, I testified for several sessions about parental rights with abortion. I was stunned when I moved to Texas and found out that a teenage girl could get an abortion without her parents' consent. 
Wow. You know, Brent, that reminds me of back when I was in California, I took a job uh, in between jobs. So I was working in a, a school district uh, helping out with assistive technology. And assistive technology, if you don't know what that is, is finding creative ways using technology to um, help students who have special needs access their curriculum. So it would be something as simple as uh, helping uh, a, young, a young boy organize his life by using uh, the calendar app on an iPad or something. Or it could be as complicated as we had a one girl who um, I think she had cerebral palsy and she couldn't use her, her hands very well. So we had like 3D printed uh, some some tools for her to be able to hold a pencil, for example. So I was working in the school district, and one of the things that was so surprising to me because you had you'd have to go in and log in and log in at the at the main office. Uh, one of the schools, the middle school, I would go into the main office, and there was actually in in the in the offices there was resources on the wall. So if a student came in. Uh, the the person giving the advice would point to the resource wall, and a huge part of it was Planned Parenthood. It would just be like um, uh, birth control, condoms, and all kinds of different things. And it was just it was really jarring to me. I did not expect the that Planned Parenthood would have its tentacles in the schools, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Well, uh, when they were able to describe abortion and contraception as normal reproductive health care you know they were able to yeah. put themselves under the mantle of the medical profession and by default just good common sense natural you know thinking yeah because who is against good health care obviously just uh you know rabid pro-lifers like us who <laughs> want to put women's lives at stake that's true well you know sorry. I, I read that ahead, same manual and i just found out that i'm a I'm a hundred and sixty third trimester talking fetus, so that's true. Goo goo gaga. No, that's funny. I'm actually giving a talk at uh, Saint Elizabeth Seton this weekend on the on objective truth versus uh, relative relativism. And in, uh, in my research, I was watching uh, videos of of debates on college campuses because I just wanted to get a sample size of people expounding relativistic ideas. And they were like saying things like, you know, when when you were in the womb, you were just a nut. Nope. And they were like, a nut? Like, where do you? I haven't heard like, that where one. Where do you get these <laughs> ideas from? Yeah, a peanut. And a blob so, of uh, tissue is what I always heard. <laughs> a blob of tissue. Uh, you're just a, bunch, a clump of cells. Yikes. I've heard that. But I was laughing because I had never heard anyone say that before. Like, you're just a nut. So we actually, you're actually just a a 157th trimester nut. Walnut. <laughs> Walnut. <laughs> I knew a, uh, you know, very devout Christian woman once, one of the separated brethren, who uh, argued that abortion was okay up until the point of insolment. And you'll mm. hear that sometimes. Yeah. That but, would make sense, but, when does but we don't know when that happens. Yeah, exactly. Well, in any case, if you missed that interview, you could listen to it live. Well, you could have listened to it live, but you can do, uh, you know, replay it on GRN online forward slash CDT. But in, in this in this hour, we're going to talk with uh, Tito Edwards and uh, Tito is from bigpulpit.com. You can check out fascinating articles on there. Tito, what's on your uh, what's on your agenda today? What's on your mind? Well, uh, to quote Father Z, when Pope Francis goes on a trip talks about something and then signs something uh it's always an adventure <laughs> what could go wrong especially on so, the airplane yeah he he was in kazakhstan 
And he signed a document with some other faith leaders, uh, more or less saying that God willed all religions. And the media picked up on that, promoted that. And of course, uh, Catholic reactionaries responded to that, saying that's heresy, which they are accurate. But the, after it was signed, it was updated to be clarified. So you can just chalk it up to translation issues. Mm. But also, even when, when, when trying to say it in plain English, it is a fine distinction. But God, God, you can attenuate two distinct types of, of will, permissive will and active will. Mm. Active will is when God actively wills uh, something, as in when he hardened the heart of the Pharaoh mm. when uh, uh, his son died after one of the plagues. Permissive will is allowing human will to go its natural course. So that was a distinction. So there's no, there was no heresy that happened over the weekend, but uh, it's just <clears throat> a lot of religion writers in the, in the media, uh, media journalism sphere just are not uh, up to date on either Catholicism or yeah the oxford unabridged english dictionary so but that's the problem right tito i mean it's it's a problem of optics so you would think that the holy father would understand that uh, this is going to be picked up like a firestorm by the media and then um afterwards people who are poorly catechized are going to read something like this and understand something completely different than the truth they're going to say well actually well, maybe I don't have the responsibility to go to Mass and give worship to God every Sunday. Or maybe, you know, I, I've been on the way out of the church for a long time, and this is just the, the little push that I needed to understand. Well, maybe, maybe I can contemplate the Eastern religions. Maybe I can become a Buddhist and still attain uh, salvation or nirvana or whatever or happiness at the end of my life. Uh, it's a problem of optics. Yes, it's indifferentism, uh, relativism, and another ism that I can't think of. It's on the tip of my tongue. But all, all in all, it's just a, a bit of confusion. And uh, unlike 10 or 20 years ago, we have a robust Catholic media that is able to uh, explain and disseminate the information to, to Catholics wanting to know exactly what the Pope said. So... Uh, in the end, it was uh, no n nothing over nothing, and uh, we need to we need to step up as Catholics and engage those that are not as knowledgeable of, on our faith and explain to them what was actually signed o over there in uh, the capital of a Kazakhstan. And we can thank uh, Bishop Athanasius. Uh, Schneider for getting the ball rolling on getting that corrected, and uh, we'll leave it at that. You know, Tito, it's interesting because on uh, the Friday the 16th, that's uh, not very far from that same time, uh, the there was an apostolic letter that came out from the Holy Father that was talking about reception of Holy Communion. And in it, he said that all that's required is the garment of faith to to be admitted to the reception of Holy Communion. And people started reacting and saying, well, this sounds like heresy. This sounds not good. This sounds like the condemnation 
that fell upon uh, everyone during the Council of Trent, saying that if you say that all that is required is faith alone, then let them be anathema. And the the signatories for this, you can check it out at LifeSite News. Uh, among the many signatures, you have Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, Bishop Gracida from Corpus Christi, Bishop Robert Mutzeritz from the Netherlands, and then Bishop Anthony Schneider, among many priests and doctors like the famous Anthony Esselon. There are many of the uh, of very recognizable people, uh, John Smirnak. Um, it's very interesting to see the amount of people who were signed off on this, but it was saying that the, yeah. I don't know if you saw it. What are your thoughts on this, uh, Tito Edwards? Yes, I, I, I saw that, uh, on Rory Chelly. I linked to that for this morning's post. I have not, uh, dealt in that, uh, that deeply, but, uh, I, I just want to know who is the theologian that wrote this for Pope Francis or if Pope Francis wrote it himself, who is a theologian? that advised him on this and uh we get <clears throat> many times before and i'm sure you rudy and brent can agree with me that uh a third rate or a fourth rate theologian wrote something that was factually incorrect poorly written and uh <clears throat> and and you know dancing on the line of uh, of heresy so I have not read that document, but just looking at all the luminaries on that document, uh, counter document, uh, it seems as if uh, the Vatican bureaucracy uh, got something a bit messed up. And I'm looking forward to seeing an update on that document. But again, what, what uh, was that? That wasn't a. Was that a bull or a, a motor propria? What was that again? Yeah, that's it. Let me see. The it was referred to as a, a, a let's see letter. So it uh, must letter, not okay. hold much weight. Uh, it'd be interesting to see no. where it falls. I also haven't done a deep dive into it either. But the, the the document from it's an apostolic letter. There we go. From Lifeside News says the apostolic okay. letter Des, Desiderio Desidarvi is not an infallible teaching. Desiderio so Darcy. that's a, that's very important to note yeah, that it's I, not I, uh, an infallible document. It it is an apostolic letter, so it does have some magisterial weight, but it doesn't have the same magisterial weight of like an encyclical or a. Uh, dogmatic decree and things like that. So it's, it's important to know, um, note. So, uh, so one of two things may happen. Uh, one, there'll be a clarification in quotes coming out of the Vatican, <laughs> or uh, this may be a document that can be uh, ignored. Yeah. I think for the, for the, for the, the good of your soul, I think you should probably just ignore <laughs> That uh, that document, you know, and, and this isn't the first time that uh, that something like this has happened on this particular topic. You know, uh, Bishop Schneider has actually asked for a correction on this before in the past. So, um, is it a mistake? I don't know. I'm not so sure. But in any case, thank you so much, Tito, for coming on and uh, and keeping us informed about that situation over there. If you want to. Hang on and uh, play our after show. You can call in, dear listener. You can call in at 1-877-757-9424. Fear and trembling. New prizes are at stake. 
right after this break. 1-877-757-9424. The Bible clearly says that Jesus had brothers and sisters, but the Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. How can that be? Mark 6, verse 3 says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Point number one to consider. There is no word for cousin or for nephew or for niece, aunt, uncle in ancient Hebrew or Aramaic. The words that the Jews used in all those instances were brother or sister. An example of this can be seen in Genesis 14, 14, where Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, is called his brother. Another point to consider. Would the last thing that Jesus did on earth be to grievously offend his surviving brother? others. Right before Jesus dies, John 19 tells us that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to the apostle John. If Mary had any other sons, this would have been an incredible slap in the face to them that the apostle John was entrusted with the care of their mother. Also, we see from Matthew 27, 55 and 56 that the James and Joseph mentioned in Mark 6 as the brothers of Jesus are actually the sons of another Mary. And one other passage to consider, Acts 1 verses 14 to 15 speaks of a company of about 120 persons that consist of the apostles, the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now let's see. There were 11 apostles at the time. Jesus' mother makes 12. The women, probably the same three women mentioned at the crucifixion in Matthew 27, but let's say it was maybe a dozen or two, just for argument's sake. That puts us up to 30 or 40 or so. So that leaves the number of Jesus' brothers at about 80 or 90, according to this scripture passage. Do you think Mary had 80 or 90 children? She would have been in perpetual labor. No, scripture does not contradict the teaching of the Catholic Church about the brothers of Jesus when Scripture is interpreted in proper context. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of Fear and Trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now, your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Just kidding. It's not Joe McClain. This is Rudy Carlos, and welcome to our segment, Fear and Trembling, the Catholic trivia game show where you could win really big. And this week we have a really awesome prize. But if you're just tuning in, this is your first time listening, you're wondering, what exactly is Fear and Trembling? What is this game show? It's a Catholic trivia game show. You don't have to know the answers. You don't have to, uh, to be an expert in theology. Because what we do here is I'm going to take the place of Joe McClain. I'm going to ask Brent, and I'm going to ask Adrian, and one of them is going to give us the correct answer. The other one is going to give us the incorrect answer, and the listener has to decide who is right and who is wrong. And praise be to God, our sponsor this week is the Troops of St. George. Have you ever heard of the Troops of St. George? Well, the Troops of St. George Apostolate aims to use the outdoors as their canvas and the sacraments as the path to the light to light the way for the formation of holy Catholic men and boys. Whether called to the vocation of the priesthood, the religious life, or that of holy fatherhood, our fathers and sons will take a prayerful pilgrimage together to fulfill Christ's desire for them to grow in virtue and in their holy Catholic faith as a journey towards heaven. St. George, pray for us. 
So if you're in the Dallas area and uh, you want to enrich the lives of your boys, make sure to check out uh, troopsofstgeorge.org. And uh, we thank them very much because they have underwritten the game show this week with a custom Italian rosary made out of Hollywood, olive wood and paracord and a Troops of St. George tumbler and water bottle. So you're going to be completely set. But make sure to check out troopsofstgeorge.org. Uh, thank you very much. Adrian, do we have somebody on the phone right now? We do not have anybody on the phone right now, oh, so no. we need someone to call in. Ah, oh, I would have, well, I would have given the, the phone number. Oh, well, one eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four. Call now if you want to participate in the game show and uh, possibly win this prize. You can go into the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence at least three times today. And uh, at the end of the week, we're going to draw uh, a winner, and it might be you. Call right now, one eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four. And I just want to say thanks again, Troops of St. George. I think this is awesome because when I was a young kid, I really, really wanted to be a Boy Scout. However, it was really expensive to join the Scouts, so I never did. But uh, I'm thinking, wow, maybe – Maybe I can join the troops of St. George. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the age limit is. But in any case, uh, we're still looking for a caller. You can call now, one 9424 The phone lines are completely open right now. And Adrian Fonseca can tie you in to play Fear and Trembling, as I mentioned, the Catholic trivia game show. You don't even have to know the answer. You're not going to be embarrassed. You can just call in right now and... Yeah, I'm going to ask Brent. I'm going to ask Adrian. One of them is going to give us the right answer. One of them is going to give us the wrong answer. All you have to do is, is, is decide. you got a 50-50 chance to uh, to win this, uh, well, to get the, the question right and the possibility to go into the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence to win the prize this week, which is, I mentioned was a custom Italian rosary, 100% olive wood and paracord. This thing is so rugged, it is not going to break on you. I would be surprised. If that happened, uh, Brent, have you ever had a uh, rosary break on you? Sorry, Brent, you're gonna have to turn your mic on there. There's a button in front of you. <laughs> well, in any case, we do have uh, a caller on the line, Adrian. Um, who's our caller today? Carmelo from Midland, Texas. Good morning Woo! to you, Midland. Yay, Midland. Let's go. Have you ever been? Uh, what's the name of that bakery, Adrian? Oh, she put me on the spot. I don't remember. You remember? Or, uh, or are you talking about the bakery that makes the fabulous cakes? We're yes, talking about uh, the, the bakery that uh, from our one of our listeners goes by Master Baker. Yeah, Master yeah, Baker, if you're in the chat, let us know what the uh, the name of the uh, the bakery is there. But uh, uh, in any case... Tongue, but yeah, he's got the most, the greatest cakes. Oh, so you have been there. Yeah. Shameless plug. Everybody's been there. Fantastic. Everybody has been there. There you go. Hey, the best wet, best wedding cakes, best uh, you know, cookies that you can buy. Heck yeah. Nice. So, listen. I haven't personally been to Midland, but is it true that uh, you could lose your dog and you could see it walking the day after? Like the land is so flat. So flat. You see your dog you running see away from you for 3 days. Running away for 3 days. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carmelo, have you played before? Are you ready to play? Uh, yeah, I played before, so uh, so you know the rules. I, I can tell you, I can tell you why you guys hadn't got no callers because you didn't announce what the gift is. That's why. 
Oh, wow. No, you need to call him this year and give us gifts first. Oh, I don't wow. care. That's what I like. Oh, the gift is participating <laughs> with us. But in any case, let's get started here. Really? I'm going to really? start <laughs> with, uh, with Brent Haynes here, and I'm going to ask you, Brent, what famous Catholic Italian physician originated a revolutionary method of educating young children at the beginning of the 20th century? You know, at first I have no idea, but uh, the, the only educational system for young children I'm even aware of is Montessori. So uh, was Montessori a Catholic doctor? I'll go with Montessori. All right. Uh, Brent's going to go with Montessori. Adrian, I'm going to ask you now, what famous Catholic Italian physician originated a revolutionary method of educating young children at the beginning of the 20th century? Yeah, that was John Dewey, and that's why we used him for the entirety of the American school system. Did you say Bowie? John Dewey. Dewey. Mm -hmm. Dewey. Huh, like the, the Dewey, Dewey Decimal System? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, Carmelo, you got options here. Uh, Brent says Maria Montessori, and Adrian says Mr. Dewey. I don't know his first name. John. John. Carmelo. Well, I, I want to say Adrian, mm. but I'm going to go with uh, Brent because, you know, he's Brent. Choice to say. Oh, very good. Carmelo, you are in one time here in the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence. And let's just uh, chug along here. Question two A vessel contains holy water. What do you call it? Brent, what do you say? The vessel that contains holy water is called a sacred theotola. That's Italian for bowl. Ciotola. It comes from the Italian. It goes Ciotola. back. It goes way back to Italy. Well, in the that, early days. Kind of makes sense. The early days. Okay, Adrian, what do you what do you call a vessel that contains holy water? Ah, yes, that's called a stoop. Oh, like the place where I sit uh, in front of my house. It does, in fact, have a, a resemblance, but it's huh. a, it's a stoop. Adrian's very. He sounds very confident. He does, doesn't he? Carmelo, uh, what do you think about uh, Adrian's answer? Is it a stoop or is it, as Brent says, a ciatella? Is that what you said? Ciatella? Ciatola. Ciatola. Mm. Carmelo, well, what do you say? I'm confident. Um, not Adrian. <laughs> not Adrian. Are you sure? Gotcha. Carmelo. Believe it or not, it's a Betrayed. stoop. It's. A, wow. I had no idea. Okay. I think we all kind of learned something here. Today. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. They called uh, but, yeah, uh, that, that, yeah, that next time you go into mass, terrible. just look out for the stoop. Yeah, Point it out and family. say, "Oh, the stoop's over there." Yeah, he's go like, "Where's the holy water? water?" Oh yeah, go to the, the stoop's over there. Yeah, <laughs> tell your family on on Sunday. Hey, make sure you go to the stoop, and they'd be very confused. <laughs> Carmelo, now question number three. This is the make it or break it moment. You're going to go into the coffee cup two times here. But I'm going to ask you, well, rather, I'm going to ask Brent, going back to Brent, what is the Latin word for master? The Latin word for master is maestro, and you still see that used in places maestro. today like symphony orchestras where their maestro is in charge of the symphony orchestra. Fascinating. Do you play any instruments, Brent? Uh, no, my talent for music lies in my appreciation of it. Huh. <laughs> I, like I should that. have told myself like that. that when I picked up uh, harmonica this weekend at a yard sale. But anyways, Adrian, what is the Latin word for master? Mm, okay. Well, maestro, I'm pretty sure, is 
English. So I'm going to go with Dominus. Dominus Vobiscum, as mm-hmm. they say. Mm-hmm. It could right. be Lord or Master. Carmelo, you have options here. Is it Dominus, as Adrian says? Or is it Maestro, as Brent says? Uh, I'm at a loss. I'm not sure. What is uh, the Latin word for master? I'm going to go with Adrian. Wow, that's how you wow. sound depressed to say Adrian. You're like, <laughs> oh, go. I'm going I'm to well, go with Adrian, Eeyore. <laughs> but is that right? I guess yeah, you'll... I think so. Ah, you got it. Let's go. Carmelo. He's like, I I guess so. (laughs) Carmelo, my man, do you play any instruments yourself? Well, uh, I have uh, four thumbs, so no. (laughs) Four thumbs? I sing really well in the the shower. Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm there with you. Well, in any case, you're in the coffee cup of Divine Providence two times. Not one, but two times. So you may win this awesome prize pack. I'm just going to spiel it right now for tomorrow, just in case people need to know what the prize is tomorrow you want to call in. We're going to give out a a prize pack from the Troops of St. George, custom Italian rosary, and a tumbler and a water bottle, all branded with the the Troops of St. George regalia on there. Thank you so much, Carmelo. Hold on the line. We're going to get your name and your information, and uh, if it's God's holy will that we draw you out of the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence, well, you're going to win that prize. We'll see. In any case, that's going to do it for our hour this hour, and uh, we thank you so much for tuning into Catholic Drive Time. If you want to listen to the rerun of this, make sure to go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt. And if for example, you were uh, in front of your computer and you want to jump into our social network feeds, jump in now. We're going to have our after show where we're going to loosen up our tie, let our hair down a little bit, and uh, talk about all kinds of different things. In any case, uh, God bless you and Mary keep you. We will see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Januarius, Martyr. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Faith of our fathers, faith and prayer Shall win all nations unto thee And through the truth that comes from God Mankind shall then indeed be free Faith of our fathers, holy faith 
we will be true to thee till death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who grant us to venerate the memory of the martyr St. Januarius, give us, we pray, the joy of his company in blessed happiness for all eternity. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the book of Proverbs. Refuse no one the good on which he has a claim, when it is in your power to do it for him. Say not to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow I will give, when you can give it once. Plot no evil against your neighbor, against one who lives at peace with you. Quarrel not with a man without cause, and with one who has done you no harm. Envy not the lawless man, and choose none of his ways. To the Lord, the perverse one is an abomination, but with the upright is his friendship. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but the dwelling of the just he blesses. When dealing with the arrogant, he is stern, but to the humble he shows kindness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The just one shall live on your holy mountain, O Lord. The just one shall live on your holy mountain, O Lord. He who walks blamelessly and does justice, who thinks the truth in his heart and slanders not with his tongue. The just one will shall live on your holy mountain, O Lord. Who harms not his fellow man, nor takes a reproach against his neighbor, by whom the reprobate is despised, while he honors those who fear the Lord. The just one shall live on your holy mountain, O Lord. Who lends not his money at usury, and accepts no bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be disturbed. The just one shall live on your holy mountain, O Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. 
Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus said to the crowd, No one who lights a lamp conceals it with a vessel or sets it under a bed. Rather, he places it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not become visible and nothing secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. To anyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he seems to have will be taken away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate the memorial of this rather unknown saint, St. Januarius, who died in the year 305. Uh, he, was, he died as a martyr under the persecution of Diocletian. And legend has it that he was thrown to the bears, but we really don't know much about his life other than he was the bishop of Benevento, and he gave his life and witness to Christ. He was really not well known until certainly the 14th century where things changed because he had a vial of his blood that had been preserved over the centuries that on this day began to liquefy. On this day, and then also the, the day of his translation of his relics to the cathedral in Naples. And still today, this very day, people are on a train. Well, of course, it's about the same time there in, in, in Naples. But people will be traveling to Naples today to go to the cathedral to see that, that the, this, this person's blood, St. Januarius, has liquefied. The rest of the year, it's just kind of con co uh, coagulated uh, mass. But it liquefies in this day, and they can tell you exactly the precise time that it happens. And the Napolitani, being a little bit superstitious, you know, wonder, you know, if it's at this time or that time, or if it doesn't come exactly the right day, then of course that could be a good omen or a bad omen. But uh, but the fact is, is something miraculous happens. This man's blood liquefies. This unknown saint. In a way, what Jesus says in the gospel comes true. That. Rather, we place that light on a lampstand where everybody can see it. And anybody can go to Naples and see this really kind of miraculous thing ha uh, happening, occurring. And yet when we think, you know, one of the great miraculous things that happens every day is that while his coagulated blood turns to liquefies, Jesus Christ changes bread and wine into his body and blood. And we get to receive that. That is so miraculous, something we have to come to recognize the amazement that God uh, comes to us so humbly and so gently that he gives himself. The, the first reading from the book of the Proverbs, which we have only for a few days this week, Proverbs was a way, a very practical way of living out the law. Because it was understood that to live out the law was a righteous life. It gave order, it ordered our life, it ordered the person's life to God, and it was a way of being righteous and holy in his sight. And so it had very, very practical ways of living this out. So he says at the beginning, Refuse no one the good in which he has a claim when it is in your power to do it for him. Say not to your neighbor, Go and then come again tomorrow I will give you when you can give it once. To give now 
and rather than to wait till tomorrow. That to, with a dealing with the arrogant, he says, the Lord is stern, but to the humble he shows kindness. It was a way of living out that law very, very practically so that they could be a light to the nations. The same thing is with us. For us, of course, we live the gospel. Particularly, if we need to look at the new law, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, this new way of living by God's grace, transforming our life and molding our life to be more and more like Christ. That's how we need to be a lampstand. Now, in today's world, because we live in a world that is seemingly so dark, we must not lose courage. Some of you think we do all these things, we try to act in a Christian way, and nobody sees it. Nobody seems to pay attention. Nobody cares. Or people misjudge our actions and think we're doing things selfishly when we're really trying to do things to please Christ or to please the Lord. We have to, I think, let that aside and not worry about that. But to be, to, that our, our life should be a light that we set on his lampstand. That doesn't mean we go around and, you know, we're looking for pr uh, trumpet blasts and praises. Most likely we will receive a better gift from God, which is called persecution. But if we do, that means we are blessed. So we shouldn't matter whether people recognize the good that we do, but simply to do the good and allow the Lord to speak to, per, to, their, to other person's hearts and to transform them. I think this is one other way of looking at this, is that, you know, when we speak, and sometimes we have to speak against, into the darkness, against the darkness, into the ways that people are living to try to, uh, tur to, try to get them to see a different perspective, a different way. But that's exactly it. We may be the only voice. We may be the only one who acts in a completely different way than where everybody else is going in the culture. And just that may be enough to get somebody to think, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I need to go a different way. I'm not finding the happiness or the joy that I think about, but, I find, but this person is joyful. This person, by living this life of Christ, is a great witness. And it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but in time, as Jesus says, there's nothing hitting that will not become visible, nothing secret that will not be known and come to light. If we live that holy life, we, we will be known as belonging to Jesus. And that's the, that's the ultimately is the important thing. Our life transformed be so much like Christ that people see Christ Jesus in us. They would be amazed at the Eucharist, that, that the way that God transforms us through his body and blood to become like Christ. We are what we eat. And may we be great witnesses to the light which we have received and live each day in our lives. We are all gathered here, dear brothers and sisters, to celebrate the mysteries of our redemption. Let us therefore ask Almighty God that the whole world may be watered from these springs of our blessing in life. Let us pray for all who have vowed themselves to God, that with his help they may faithfully keep to the resolve. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For peace among nations that delivered from all turmoil, the peoples may serve God in freedom of heart. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the elderly who suffer from isolation or sickness, that they may be strengthened by our love of them as brothers and sisters. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for ourselves gathered here, or those who are joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, through their intentions, that as God does not cease to sustain us with the things of his life, we may know how to use them in such a way that we may hold even now to the things that endure forever. We pray to the Lord. 
Finally, let us pray for those who have died for the holy souls in, in purgatory. They may rest in peace. May we be a light to the world, a, a light shining in the darkness. We pray to the Lord. May your mercy, we beseech you, O Lord, be with your people who cry to you, so that what they seek at your prompting they may obtain by your ready generosity through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and of all his holy church. Sanctify our offerings by your blessing, O Lord, we pray, and by your grace may we be set afire with the flame of your love, through which St. Januarius overcame every bodily torment, through Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For the blood of your blessed martyr, Januarius, poured out like Christ to glorify your name, shows forth your marvelous works, by which in our weakness you perfect your power, and on the feeble bestow strength, strength to bear you witness through Christ our Lord. And so with all the powers of heaven, we worship you constantly on earth, and before your majesty, Without end we acclaim, Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncelli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, we benit in nomine Domini, Hosanna, in to you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices, which we offer you firstly for your holy Catholic Church. Be pleased to grant her peace, to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the whole world, together with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, 
and all those who, holding to the truth, hand on the Catholic and apostolic faith. Remember, Lord, your servants. Pray for all those who are living. And all gathered here, whose faith and devotion are known to you, for them we offer you this sacrifice of praise, where they offer for themselves and all who are dear to them, for the redemption of their souls in hope of health and well-being, and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, and all your saints, we ask that through their merits and prayers in all things we may be defended by your protecting help. Therefore, Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family. Order our days in your peace, and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. Be pleased, O God, we pray, to bless, acknowledge, and approve this offering in every respect. Make it spiritual and acceptable, so that it may become for us the body and blood of your most beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was to suffer, he took bread in his holy and venerable hands, and with eyes raised to heaven, to you, O God, his almighty Father, giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands, and once more giving you thanks, he said the blessing and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the blessed passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven of Christ your Son, our Lord, we, your servants and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance and to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the just, the sacrifice of Abraham our father in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim. In humble prayer, we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high in the sight of your divine majesty, 
so that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. Remember also, Lord, your servants who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. Grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ a place of refreshment, light, and peace. To us also, your servants, who those sinners, hope in your abundant mercies, graciously grant some share in fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs, with John the Baptist, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company, not weighing our merits, but granting us your pardon through Christ our Lord, through whom you continue to make all these good things, O Lord. You sanctify them, fill them with life, bless them, and bestow them upon us. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer you the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy you should enter under my roof. Only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it in eternity. 
says the Lord. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. May the sacred mysteries of which we have partaken, O Lord, we pray, give us that determination which made your blessed martyr Januarius faithful in your service and victorious in suffering through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks, Thanks be to God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Karina. And I'm Betsy. And we're with Catholic Charities. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston. Part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. 